0: Good afternoon and welcome to the fourth episode of Startup CU Radio. Startup CU Radio brings a startup community to the Cal Lutheran campus. One hour a week, we interview experienced entrepreneurs with questions to help students creating their first business, as well as discussing important topics to the Conejo Valley startup ecosystem. I'm Evan Brandt, I'm your co-host today. I'm a senior here at CLU, president of Startup CLU, and founder of Family. Today I'm here with my co-host Sarah Meador, also a senior at CLU, as well as Conejo Valley's very own Mike Pinesis. Mike is a local angel investor, startup advisor, co-founder of Pub 101, and director of the entrepreneurship program at CLU. Mike's received pretty much numerous awards and titles throughout the region for his efforts and excellence in helping startups. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show.
1: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah. Mike, so you bring a very unique perspective to the show, actually. You know, although you were never a startup founder yourself, um, you're still, you know, like a very well known leader and advisor to many startups, um, as well as a fairly successful angel investor. I say fairly because you know, I mean, that's all you can <laughs> hope for. And you know, just the the time it takes for investments to materialize, you kind of never know exactly where you're at with your investments. Sure. Um, so I'm just kind of really curious. You know, you you never started a startup. But you're clearly comfortable with startups. So I mean, no. what you know, what made you so comfortable, and how did you learn uh, to get to this point?
1: Yeah, I didn't discover entrepreneurship till I was close to forty. I uh, I was uh, I was trained in computer science. I was a software engineer for a while, a management consultant. Um, wanted to work for a big company when I was in college, and did that for a long time. And it mm. wasn't until um, we moved from New Jersey to California that uh, that I realized that maybe. Maybe I was built for this all along. In hindsight, my uh, I come from a from uh, on both sides of my family. Lots of entrepreneurs, little nothing big, but yeah. uh, lots of food service industry type stuff. And it was probably sh- something I should have been doing all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I when I was a consultant for big companies, I specialized in turnarounds and taking mm. companies that had lost their way and helping them get back on track. And when I got involved with startups, I I took that specialty and applied it to startups where Mm. uh, it wasn't my startup, it was someone else's and it needed help getting on the right path. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I did that for a while and and, um, did well enough at it that I never really needed to start anything yeah. on my own in, in, in a way the center is a startup that's yeah, probably the closest <laughs> i've ever come because sure. we kind of started from close to scratch not exactly there there's been an entrepreneurship con- concentration mm-hmm. uh in the business school for a long time but um yeah you, the thing about startups is even successful entrepreneurs fail over and over and over again
0: yep. nine times out of ten right?
1: yep yep so it it's not like the best and the brightest always, always succeed. So mm-hmm. it's all about continuing to try and to experiment and to mm-hmm. take what you learn with with one idea and, and apply it to the next one. Yeah.
0: So you felt you just kind of gained enough experience just from working in the startup realm to where you felt like you had a pretty good hold of, you know, what could work and what couldn't work? You, you
1: mean as an angel investor? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I got involved as an angel investor. I thought I was being clever. I, <laughs> I was working with a little company that needed investment. Mm-hmm. And I, I figured I, instead of applying for angel investment, I'd mm. apply to be a member.
0: Oh, there you go.
1: And I didn't realize that um, that I qualified. To, that <laughs> I actually qualified to be a member. So uh-huh. the, the the gentleman I met with uh, convinced me that angel investing was fun. It was exciting to get involved with startups at a very at a very very early stage, mm-hmm. and that I should give it a try. So I did, and that was seven eight years ago. Oh wow! Um, I've since gotten more deeply involved than I ever expected to be mm-hmm. I'm uh, the member I'm the president of Tech Coast Angel Central Coast chapter mm. TCA is one of the largest angel groups in the country we have 300 members from Santa Barbara to San Diego yeah uh, and I've been the chairman of the board of Governors for the entire group oh wow uh, yeah you serve a one-year term and that's really all <laughs> you can because leading 300 alpha males and females yep. is exhausting I'm sure um, and, and you do this in your free time in my free time <laughs> Quote yeah unquote. this is my hotun free time. (laughs) Right. This is my hobby. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then I belong to a second group called Santa Barbara Angel Alliance that's just a couple of years old based in Santa Barbara and Mm. is very active. Yeah. A good angel investor. Well, it depends on the person, but angel investors can really help make a company, help a company succeed or accelerate its, its path to success mm-hmm. uh, because they don't just bring money, they bring uh, connections and experience and advice. Uh, it kind of depends on the startup. Sometimes I invest and I'm totally hands off. Sometimes I'll get phone calls a couple of times a month. Occasionally I'll serve on the board of directors or a board of advisors uh, if they need assistance more frequently than that.
2: Okay. So I know you were saying how like a good angel investor could help like it be successful and everything like that. How does one become a good um, angel investor?
1: That's a good question. (laughs) Um, I I think it's the kind of thing where it kind of comes from experience. So okay. most I, I don't know many angel investors who are younger than 30. Yeah. So they've met they've met with some success somewhere in their careers, sometimes as an entrepreneur, sometimes in industry. Mm-hmm. So having a, uh, a diversity of background of experience okay. and building your own social network. Mm-hmm. I know you guys probably get a lot of um, you hear a lot about being on LinkedIn. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> and uh and being connected to business people, it's those those relate those social relationships you have in business that are Almost always very different than your personal relationships mm-hmm. that become an important part of who you are uh, as an angel investor.
2: And I know we kind of jumped into this whole thing talking about angel investing, but for those students who maybe not be like aren't so familiar with that term, like me, who are kind of starting to learn stuff about entrepreneurship, what is that exactly?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a good question. How much time do we have? <laughs> so okay, so let's talk about the way you raise money for your startup. Okay. And I'll get to angel investors, but it kind of, they're kind of, there's a sequence of where the money comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually when you launch a startup, you start with whatever you have and yeah. your founders, and it's it's usually not very much. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky, you come from a family or you have an extended family that has that has uh, the means to invest in you. We call that the mm-hmm. friends and family round. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you want to be cynical, you call it the friends, family and fools round. <laughs> um, but generally they're people you know. Okay. And- have known for a long time, and they're going to uh, invest in your startup because they know you, trust you, and and in most cases, love you and want to see you Mm -hmm. succeed. Angel investors are usually the first strangers who invest in you. Okay. You don't know them. They don't know you. You met them at a social networking event, or you applied for funding through a group like Tech Coast Angels, Mm -hmm. and uh, the beginning of the relationship is about your startup and their role in it. Okay. starting with a check. Mm-hmm. Um, just real quickly on from there, you get angel investment and then and then typically you find a venture capitalist or you find a big company that wants to invest in you. Mm-hmm. And at every stage, the numbers tend to get bigger and bigger. Okay. Um, but yeah, angel investors are the first strangers who invest in you. That's yeah. kind of the best way to put it, okay. uh, which is also where people get hung up uh, talking to angel investors because they assume there's this, there's this espe- expectation that angel investors are the guys who you show up with a drawing on a napkin Mm-hmm. and, and show it to them and they immediately get your startup idea and want to write you a check. <laughs> and and that's typically not the way it works. I'm sure yeah. it happens occasionally, <laughs> but part of the trick with angel investors is you have to get to know them before you, you raise money from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to know that they can trust you. They need to know mm-hmm. that you're in, uh, you're in it for the long term with your startup, that you're, uh, that you're willing to, um, uh, you're willing to see the hard times through and there always are hard times, but, um, but, uh, that's an important first step in uh, in meeting an angel and, or in 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 making contact with an angel
0: yeah I kind of want to expand on that a little bit um... Like you said, oftentimes angels are you know extremely valuable to a business, not just for the money, but for very young startups, they can be extremely essential into their growth. Um, so, how would you recommend um, you know students or just young entrepreneurs to find angel investors and reach out to you guys? You know, they, this idea of getting to know them is very important. So, how, how would you recommend them, them going about that?
1: On any given day at Hub 101, there are probably one or two angel investors in the room. They don't advertise it, <laughs> uh, but um, come and and then when you come to an event at Hub 101, uh, there might be more. Mm-hmm. Um, Tech Coast Angels has meetings at Hub 101. We have we have entrepreneurs making presentations for investment, and um, yeah, you're welcome to come to those meetings, with, within reason. We can't have 50 <laughs> people show up yeah. and three investors in the room. Uh, but um, going to networking events that are entrepreneurship-focused, especially in this area, there are a lot of angel investors in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. You go to any entrepreneurship-focused event in Santa Barbara and, and chances are you're going to meet some folks who who uh, are inclined to invest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This area is very lucky to have a lot of active angel investors. Yes. I know that's not typical.
1: No, it's not typical. Yeah. It, it's, very much, it's something I didn't realize existed until I moved out here from New Jersey.
0: Yeah. Very true. Um, and It's always kind of a catch twenty two with angel investors because I feel like when they're vers- first starting out, like they're very excited. They want a lot of people reaching out to them. Mm-hmm. And then if you're like you, where it's just a hobby, it's like at some point it's just too much. Yeah. And it's, like you don't want to get pitched to every twenty seconds.
1: Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. Especially when I know what the answer is. And, and mm-hmm. a very important uh, consideration about angels is even though they're strained, so. Your friends and family are usually investing in you for another reason besides the startup idea itself. Angels are the first strangers who will invest in you. Venture capitalists are even more stranger. Stranger. That's probably not the right. <laughs> that, that too sometimes, but um, but they're also strangers. But venture capitalists are in business to invest money, other people's money, and mm-hmm. are on the hook for a return on investment. Angels aren't. They're they're doing it because they enjoy it, because mm-hmm. they get more out of it other than just the return on investment. Uh, so you you kind of alluded to that, Evan. You, you're when you're pitching to an angel, you're. You're um, you're competing against uh, the new carpet in the living room, and mm-hmm. the Tesla, and the vacation home. If if they're an angel, what that kind of means. So uh, there has to be another connection. Now I'll say this too: there's this expectation that you need to go find investors to launch your startup. Mm-hmm. And I know plenty of entrepreneurs who who uh, whose startups succeeded without raising any money from anybody. Wow. Um, it means it. You go a little. Slower, and you kind of do things as as you can afford to, mm-hmm. uh, but and you have to be creative about it. But when you take on investors, you take on obligations and responsibilities. Yeah. Um, I'll speak to someone every so often who says, well, an angel investor is probably wealthy and if they invest $10,000 in me, they can afford to lose it. They may Mm. be able to afford to lose it. They're not going to like losing it. Yeah. (laughs) So when you're on your own and you're figuring it out yourself, you have nobody to... to report to than yourself and there's something mm-hmm. to be said for that and and yeah. there are some really big successes that way mm-hmm. um you ever heard of a company called pcs limited i haven't no yeah started by a college student oh. <laughs> he built himself his own computer um his friends started asking it, in his dorm room friends started asking him uh can you build one for me he said sure pay for the parts and pay me a fee and i'll build mm-hmm. one for you next thing you know he got busier He got really busier. Wow. Um, Then he dropped out of school and started a company. Maybe you know him by his name. Michael Dell?
2: Uh, that kind of sounds familiar. Kind of like, sounds familiar. I mean, who that is
1: yeah. It's a Dell computer, one of the largest oh, computer companies in the duh. world. It started in a dorm room and 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 they went on to raise a lot of money from venture wow. capitalists, but it didn't start that way. It yeah. started with, you know, I'll build you a computer, you pay for the parts and pay yeah. me something to build it. There's this conception that if you don't go big quick, that you might as well go home because mm-hmm. if you don't, someone else is going to latch onto this idea and steal it from you. And while that's certainly possible. There are plenty of examples of startups that, that had to percolate for a while. And mm-hmm. if you don't have the money, you've just kind of, you got to go slower.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Um, so what, like, what kind of things do you look for in a startup or like in a founder that's kind of going to hint to you that it's going to be a good investment and that, you
1: know, you're not taking too big of a risk? You look for a founder who's passionate about what they're doing, uh, who. Who can convince you that they're going to be in this for the long term? That when there's adversity, they're going to keep going. You're looking for a um, you're looking for a compelling business model. What I mean by that is, number one, there're probably multiple ways you can make money from your business, and number two, that there are some natural barriers to competition. Hmm. So you either have a patent or you have the way you go about your business uh, makes it difficult for someone else to compete with you. Mm-hmm. Um, those those are probably the two most important. Um, and the, the, the number of sources of revenue make it easier for you to pivot. If you're not making enough money one way, you can change the nature of the business so that you don't have to start over mm-hmm. and make money a different way.
0: Do you value one of those things higher than others or like one thing where you don't compromise on the have to have this one kind of quality or feature?
1: No, I, I'll say this: um, when it comes from an angel's perspective, most of the time, an entrepreneur wants to tell me all about how wonderful their opportunity is, mm. and I can tell you that most of the most of the entrepreneurs that come to me are are talking about a really big, really compelling opportunity. Uh, angels are much more much more interested in hearing about how can you limit the downside risk. Mm. Uh, my investment's probably going to end up being worth zero most of the time. Most yeah. startups fail. Mm-hmm. So tell me how you've taken the risk out of the the equation. What are the mm-hmm. best ways to do that? Uh, bootstrap your company and build a product to the point where you have sales. Mm-hmm. Because that's one way to prove that you've got customers. They yeah. they buy your value proposition so much that they're willing to pay money for it. Mm-hmm. Show that you've got customers. Uh, you've, you've got big and powerful friends. Mm-hmm. So if you go to work for a big company and you have an idea for a startup and you leave the company to, to, um, to launch the startup but the startup has something to do with your prior big company's customers mm-hmm. then showing that those customers buy into the value proposition and are coming along with you for the ride and are maybe signing up uh, to be your first customer and maybe have given you a deposit so that uh, so that they want to be first in line when they get the product that signals to an investor all right um they've at least established the fact that they have paying customers that's mm-hmm. a really big hurdle for startups to get over
0: yeah yeah it definitely shows some traction it shows a little bit of validity um and if you have that sometimes you can overlook some of the other things you feel like if you have if they have really good traction if they've proven something sometimes the other details aren't as important yes okay
1: yes that along with just getting a chance to know them to get to know them
0: Definitely. Um, one thing that's really interesting is a lot of people don't realize is, you know, because the angels and the investors are the one that are sought after, um, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, it kind of to go both ways, though, that, you know, you should be agreeing with and you should be looking for a certain type of investor that, you know, dumb money isn't good money. And like, I mean, so like, what things do you think a founder should be looking for um, in their investor? Like, should they go out and seek, you know, specific investors? Are there certain qualities that they should look for, you know, to ensure, you know, a better chance of success? for their startup
1: yeah well start with your investor social networks do they know people who can benefit my business do they know do they have friends who are investors do they have friends who might be customers do they have friends in the industry who might be able to help me find customers do they have do they know people who could be my partners Mm -hmm. Um, that's not to say that uh, dumb money is bad Mm -hmm. Um, maybe we we shouldn't call it dumb money Mm -hmm. the the the, um, passive money where if someone's willing to write you a check, but they're also understanding that I can't call you every week to find out what's going on, yeah, and I don't expect regular emails uh, every time there's an issue, but maybe maybe send me a quarterly report and I'll be fine, mm-hmm. and let me know when there's an exit. yeah. Uh, that's not bad money to have. True. Uh, but if someone writes a check and they, they, they my, my favorite are the, the investors who, um, it's not unusual for angel investors to be retired, Mm. and to kind of ease their way out of being involved in a business day to day. So they retire, they turn to angel investing, they write a check and then they want to be in charge. Mm. So they, they want experience. to meet with you weekly and you know, they have, they have new product ideas all the time mm-hmm. and, um, they want you to pay more attention than, than, um, than, than you can. Yeah. I'm invested in tracker, a company in Santa Barbara that mm-hmm. started with two UCSB students and, um, uh, they just raised a B round, a $50 million round last year. Mm-hmm. And I. In the room a lot of the time when they were talking to investors, and this this is a little device that you attach to your keys, mm-hmm. and it keeps you from walking away from your phone. And if you've got your phone and you leave your keys, it keeps you from walking away from your keys. And every time they'd sit down an investor, the investor would start product design for them. Mm-hmm. Well, Have you thought about putting it on your luggage? Have you thought about mm-hmm. putting it on your kids? Have you thought about putting it on <laughs> on seniors? Have you yeah. thought about putting it on? It was always the same thing, and mm-hmm. it, it, it was um, they were all good ideas. Yeah. But they were all ideas that the founders had thought of a long time ago. Of course. <laughs> uh, and especially when you're in that position, when it's um, it's a, it's an investor, you don't necessarily want to say no. You want to be polite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the same token, you don't have time for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in those cases, like, is there a situation where... It is dumb money, where maybe the um, the investor wants to put in too much, or has a different vision than the founders, where they they're trying to pull the founders um, to stray one way, you know, off their off their path. I mean, yeah. or do you feel like you know, as long as the founders have a very clear path, um, you know, at the at the worst, the money's just kind of passive.
1: Right. It, yeah. Well, it's so I wouldn't call it dumb money. What I would mm-hmm. call it is is the trade-off between between ch- taking the check mm-hmm. and having the person who's writing the check be involved in your business Mm -hmm. because practically speaking if someone writes you a check they have a right to be involved in your business in some way true so it's more it's more important that you you're clear on the expectations Mm -hmm. about how they're going to be involved how much time you're going to spend with them and no more than that
0: yeah um and one thing you kind of alluded to there was uh, sometimes investors, you know, they obviously they do have a right, so they they require some of your time. Um, but just the act of raising around, you know, b- besides the fact after the round it takes time, but like just raising around that is like a huge time suck. Um, mm-hmm. It really distracts from you know focus on your product and your customers. Um, and again, you keep alluding to the fact that um, you know if a if a startup can bootstrap, that's extremely valuable to you as an investor. Right. Um, so at what point do you think founders should? Invest the time to raise around is there like, you know, a magical moment that it's really obvious that they need to be raising capital
1: There's not a magical moment. I the the moment that I tend to see The most is that you've bootstrapped. You've got a minimum viable product. You've got something that people are willing to pay for uh, Your sales are accelerating. They may not be huge But you're you're getting more every month and then a big opportunity shows up on the horizon. Mm Mm-hmm if it's an immediate opportunity, it might be too late. But you're you're in discussions with a big potential customer who could double your sales overnight. Mm. Uh, that's a that's a reasonable time to go raise money. Yeah, because then you have an opportunity right in front of you that you can say to the investor, "If I raise this much money, I think I can
0: mm-hmm.
1: I can capture that customer." Yeah, there, there there's also kind of a, it's it's an old maxim. It has more to do with um, with borrowing money. But it, the old saying goes, uh, "The best way to" To get a loan is to demonstrate you don't need it.
0: True. Yeah. So yeah, or we you got the money in the tough. back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And and it, it, it's kind of the same with with raising money from investors. If you can prove that you can acquire customers, mm-hmm. you can build a product, acquire customers on your own, mm-hmm. and um, and do that reliably, then the investor, the VCs are going to come to you. Yeah. Uh, angels maybe not so much, but, it, but you never know. But it, it's demonstrating that you don't necessarily need their money when all all of a sudden yeah they want to they want to write the check.
0: Yeah, essentially proving to them that if they pour cash into something, it's just essentially the same as pouring gas onto a fire. We're just gonna kind of increase it. They put money into it, it's gonna increase sales, right. increase all, all that.
1: Right, there's no yeah. question about whether your customer is the right customer, mm-hmm. there's no co- p- product market fit, it's called, yeah that you've achieved that product market fit.
0: Yeah, where it's figured out, you're not just wasting money on figuring things out, you're, yep. you're spending money on growing the business. Yes. Yeah, very cool. Um. So then, what do you th- what do you think? Um, like, what would you tell founders on trying to decide about what kind of round to raise and how much money to raise? Um, I mean, is there like, is this specific to the type of startup they're in, or just specific into the like when they're raising capital? Is there, Do you have any general advice on that? Depends on the business. Mm. So for software for
1: software businesses, I'd say bootstrap as long as you can get as far as you can with the resources you have, and you can get pretty far. On your own mm-hmm. um, when 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 i got involved with startups there was no cloud there was no amazon <laughs> web services you had to buy your own servers it was expensive <laughs> and put them find a data center to house them and it got really expensive mm-hmm. now you can get started really cheap yeah um i think once you've had sales reliably for for at least three months maybe mm-hmm. s- at least six then it's it's time to start to start looking for outside investors. Mm. If you're building a product, it's a little... More complicated, yeah. Um, it's also easier to do than it used to be. You can three D print stuff now. Where in the past, if you weren't going to make hundred thousand of them, no manufacturer wanted to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bar may be a little lower in terms of sales if you've if you've um, if you're making a product.
0: Okay, and then like if a young uh, a young entrepreneur comes to you and they would you know it's the right time for them to raise capital. Um, do you often kind of dictate you know what kind of round it's going to be, or do you give them a little bit of power there They like you have them come do you with you know what sort of round they want to raise
1: typically typically at very early stage the investors more likely to dictate terms mm. where early stage founders and investors get bogged down as in what's the company worth what's the valuation of the company mm. to the to the founder it's worth millions of dollars and to an angel investor where there's still there's still lots of uncertainty about the business. It's probably worth zero, and whatever you agree to is a favor. Uh, so you need to meet somewhere in between, um, and and that's that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I should add I should add that I'm not investing in any Cal Lutheran startups. That's part of my deal. It's, <laughs> it's called a conflict of interest. Yeah. Uh, so this is all this is all advice from uh, from. Uh, From a Cal Lutheran employee who happens to do this on the outside. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) All right. So um, I know that you were just talking about your Calu employee, but so you teach and you mentor many um, student entrepreneurs. What are your thoughts on raising capital while you're still in college? Because you know, like you have all that stuff on your plate already, and adding that on top. Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Don't. (laughs) Don't. Don't. Especially if you got student loans. Okay. It's. it's, an, it's a big obligation to take take money from someone else and put mm-hmm. it to good use and uh, especially before you graduate I first and foremost I, I strongly believe you, you ought to get your degree mm-hmm. um, and that should be your focus if yeah. you're you know we give you plenty of opportunities to, um, to uh, experiment. Mm-hmm. With entrepreneurship, and there are times like Evan. Evan, you're a good example. You you're ready to go, so that when you graduate, uh, you've you've got family up and running, and and you're figuring it out. And mm-hmm. um, uh, if you decide to go raise money, then it, 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 at the very least, you're free of college. What I would rather see you do early on. And this was a student. I was at UCSB before I was here. I spent a lot of time working with engineers Mm -hmm. and engineers tend to be focused. They decide this is the right opportunity and Mm -hmm. that's the one I'm going to run with. And I had a Cal Lutheran student tell me, well, if 90% of all startups fail, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to start 10 all at once (laughs) that way one of them will succeed (laughs) which i thought was fatally flawed yet really really fascinating advice about how to go about it Mm -hmm. so i i think when you're in college it's the perfect time to experiment it's very unlikely you're going to find the exact right thing so maybe not try 10 but try Mm -hmm. two or three and see what works
2: yeah definitely students Starting out, um, thinking of doing startups and stuff, and entrepreneurs. What is the most common mistake that? What do you think is the most common mistake that can be made, like when they're going about that, either with like financing or whatever idea that they're having as like a startup or how they're going to go about it,
1: stuff like that. Number one mistake is not knowing who your customer is. Yeah. Even before you know exactly what business you're in, and I know that sounds kind of counter counterintuitive, mm-hmm. but the big mistake that entrepreneurs made five six ten years ago was they decide they have a product idea that it's a really good idea and then they'd go off and they'd build it and it would take six months to a year and then they'd share it with their customers and their customers would say i don't want that
0: (laughs) what is this yeah (laughs) yeah
1: so uh so the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make is not getting that knowledge first. Mm. And that's part of what we teach in our classes is to give you a framework for doing that while you're conceptualizing the product.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so for some of these students that, you know, have an idea or are just interested in starts but don't have an idea yet, um, are there other things that they could be doing to prepare? You know, obviously, like you said, they could be mm-hmm. taking uh, classes with you. They could be testing things out. I don't know, is there anything that stands out to you like, oh, like, you know, you should be doing this when you're young to, like, kind of get yourself prepared?
1: You don't need to have a killer idea. Uh, in fact, the hardest part about entrepreneurship isn't coming up with the next Facebook. It's in being good at doing whatever it is you're doing. Most entrepreneurs mm-hmm. trip up in the execution, not in the idea. If I had a nickel for every every person who told me they invented Facebook before the Winklevoss <laughs> twins did, uh, I'd be retired. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, so it's very important uh, to follow through. Mm-hmm. um what can you do while you're at Cal Lutheran? Mm-hmm. Uh, get involved with the entrepreneurship club yeah um, the the events you guys do are incredible and uh, instructional themselves. Mm-hmm. Think about minoring in entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, the School of Management, the business majors can concentrate in entrepreneurship okay but we offer a minor to any major. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's uh, and we did we do that on purpose. I don't think we're ever going to have an entrepreneurship major Mm -hmm. because, frankly, I don't think I could come up up with enough courses. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What I want is for you to be passionate about something. And it -hmm. it really doesn't matter to me what it is. It's got to be something you love.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, and then the entrepreneurship part of your education uh, focuses on what can I do with that? Mm hmm. So, for example, if you're majoring in music, music production, the arts in any way, chances are the way those industries are built, you're you're an entrepreneur, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Uh, they don't hire employees. They hire contractors. And at the very least, even if you don't grow a big business, you're responsible for your own time. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing how to go about that is an important thing. So I'd say get involved with the club. Uh, we have a, a new venture fair at the end of the year where the, the student-led startups that have made the most progress mm-hmm. each get a booth and show their startups off to the community and wow. we give out cash prizes oh that's um, cool and then we're this year we're we're uh we're throwing in with a bunch of county Entrepreneurship education institutions in the county that teach entrepreneurship at all levels. So mm-hmm. we're starting an event called New Venture Ventura County, where we're going to have participants from grade school to grad school. Wow! Um, so the you, you're not competing against ten year olds, yeah. but if you do follow <laughs> them and they're adorable,
2: yeah,
1: it's it's a tough act to follow. Yeah, and and you would you would be surprised at the complexity. Of some of the ideas mm-hmm. uh, younger kids come up with, it, it's it's yeah. uh, it's remarkable how much how how much of a head start they can get. Yeah. I wish I had this when I was young.
2: Yeah, that's amazing to get started like so early. You yeah. know yeah. yeah. You have more time to figure it out. Right. Yeah. Um. So speaking of like Facebook and other startups that have like come out of like university and stuff like that, uh-huh. have you personally seen um successful startups come out of university very often?
1: At all? Well, at UCSB, at UCSB, they um, it's it's a pretty common occurrence. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go back to 2001, the very first year UCSB did a new venture competition, the team that won um, was called Inogen, mm-hmm. and uh, their idea was to build a portable oxy- oxygen concentrator so that if you need oxygen, yeah. rather than carrying those heavy tanks around, yeah. you could just carry around a device that makes ox- extracts the oxygen from the air. Wow. So um, cool. And that was a, an economics major who got the idea from her grandmother while she was home on Thanksgiving break. Wow! She came home and uh, talked to a couple of her friends about it who I think were like bio majors. Mm-hmm. None of them engineers. Yeah. Um, but the idea was just such a great idea and the way they described it was fantastic that they won the New Venture Competition. When they graduated, they started the business. Mm-hmm. They got engineering talent to help them figure out how to design it. It took them a while, but they're now a publicly traded company. Mm. Wow. Um, so for Cal Lutheran, we're making progress. It's you know mm-hmm. it's still early in the game, but we, we for example, we've got coding autism. That's uh, Oliver Thornton's startup. That um, uh, Oliver won the new venture competition two years ago. Okay, and uh, his business is. Um, Is about helping people with autism learn how to code and to help them find and keep jobs. Mm -hmm. We're excited about that one. Um, Then we're excited about this guy. His name is Evan Brandt. Oh, really? I've never heard of that guy before. He's gonna be—he's gonna be graduating soon, and he's gonna (laughs) make family a big success. (laughs) And uh, then—and then he's gonna—he's gonna make a big donation to Cal Lutheran, and we're gonna call it the Brandt Center for Entrepreneurship.
0: Fingers crossed, right? Fingers crossed. Yep.
1: I say that to, and I say that to every student who's launched a startup. Don't forget <laughs> us.
2: Yeah, that's smart. Um, so kind of looking towards the future, what types of startups are you hoping to see more of?
1: From Cal Lutheran?
2: Yeah, from Cal Lutheran or, or kind of just in general.
1: This is this is not an answer I, I would have given when I got here. I want to see more startups that are doing public good, mm. that, uh, that are making a difference in the community in a way that, makes this a better world that aren't necessarily that i i do firmly believe that startups are better when they're trying to make a profit i think Mm -hmm. it forces them to be uh to be creative Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh oliver startup is a good example of that let's let's take a part of the population that we've ignored that has incredible value Mm -hmm. and unlock that value yeah um something i'm personally interested in when it comes to cal lutheran is that um I think the arts and humanities have been overlooked as a source of entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and in in, at least in an academic setting there's an awful lot we have to learn uh, from from those groups about how. All of us can be better entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. That uh, I I would really like to see some startups come out of come out of uh, the arts and humanities.
0: Yeah, that'd be awesome. I think it's a really interesting dynamic where um, you know a lot of these companies are doing social good, are looking at areas that are again super underserved, overlooked, um, and those sometimes end up being like the biggest opportunities because they are overlooked. You know, so it ends up being kind of you know a win win for both both parties. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: Right. I just. uh, Time magazine this week the cover stories about the the opioid epidemic and it's mm. it's one harrowing it's the whole issue from end wow. to end they've never done that before it's mm-hmm. one harrowing picture after another of people whose lives have been destroyed by addiction wow um, and you have to ask yourself how, how can we fix that mm-hmm. so i i'd like to i'd like to see more of those but yeah. with the, with the provision that you figure out how to make a profit from it not mm-hmm. not to soak your customers but because it forces you to be more innovative,
0: yeah. And if you look at the most profitable companies, those are the same companies that are giving the most back. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Okay. Cool. So then, one question I, I was really wanted to ask you. I, I asked Spencer, the founder of WeDo, last week. Um. But because you're an angel investor, I'm really interested. So with this huge rise of crowdfunding and ICOs and all these alternatives to traditional investing, I mean, do you have an opinion on that? I mean, do you are you Worried that angel investing won't be as prevalent or do you think it's an opportunity or just kind of what's your general opinion?
1: Oh, I, I think it's I, I, I th- I'm excited about most of it mm-hmm. um, Crowdfunding most definitely I, I think that Kickstarter and Indiegogo have transformed the way that people who want to make something Can get their 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 startups going mm mm-hmm. um, there's this overlooked, uh, there's overlooked section of the crowdfunding universe called accredited investor crowdfunding, and these are the same people who, angel investors who usually invest in person, mm-hmm. can also invest online. Yeah, and the dollar amounts are smaller, so that uh, you maybe don't have to do as much due diligence, or someone else has done the diligence for you. Mm-hmm and it makes it easier to um, to write a check. Yeah. ICOs I'm a little more concerned about. Mm. The cynic in me says the only reason why they've gotten so popular is because ICO sounds too much like IPO. <laughs> yeah, uh, creating uh, a buzz. Selling your stock to the public markets, yeah. but the but an IPO is regulated by the SEC and mm-hmm. ICOs aren't regulated by anybody and there's too much opportunity for um, abuse. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that everybody who does an ICO is out to mislead somebody. In fact, I, in fact, I know the opposite of many people, mm-hmm. but I think we need we need to figure out how to regulate it properly.
0: Yeah, and there's a big push for that right now, they're trying to figure it out. But yeah. it's just such new technology; it's tough.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I I joke now to anybody anybody who asks for advice: figure out how to mention the blockchain in your startup, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and you'll probably a key get some interest. To open up yeah. Some doors. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Um, okay, so cool. So besides ICOs, do you see any other major problems with like the current investment market you know either in this specific area or you know outside as well I think right
1: now, in the stage of the business cycle we're in, mm-hmm. we're at a point where all the attention is paid to the bigger companies that are that are getting lots of money from venture capitalists and are mm-hmm. unicorns. They're mm-hmm. companies that have that venture capitalists have decided are worth more than a billion dollars, mm-hmm. and that that's taken attention from smaller companies. Yeah, um, in a couple of ways. Number number one, it's just that the smaller companies don't want to stop at the angel investor stage because they know it takes time they got to they got to get to know them more than they've got to get to know the VC but also a lot of people who would otherwise launch a startup are going to take a six-figure job with a growth-stage company that's got lots of venture capital and mm-hmm. uh, needs really talented people to run as fast as they can toward uh, toward their goals. Okay,
2: um, so with technology, you know, like advancing as we keep going on, um, what is something that you're kind of excited about right now? And this is a question we've been asking like everyone on our show, you know, like about like um, virtual reality and. You know, like robots and stuff like that. So what's something you're looking forward to?
1: Not the Terminator robots.
2: Right? Yeah, no, not those. <laughs>
1: something I've always been excited about, it's it's now called the Internet of Things. Mm-hmm. But what's always fascinated me is the border between the real world and the virtual world. Yeah. Uh, how you describe the real world and how you interact with it using technology. Which is part of the reason I'm invested in Tracker. Um, I'm still not sold on the Amazon Echo.
2: Oh, really? Um,
1: Well, to me, Alexa, it's more like it's kind of like talking to a five-year-old. You have to tell her 16 times Mm -hmm. before she gets it right. She doesn't know what you're talking about (laughs) a lot of the time. She'll play whatever music you want her to play, which is really nice. Yeah, it is. But um, but I I like the I like things. Mm -hmm. I don't. I I was a software engineer myself. when I look at someone else's software, there's always a voice in the back of my head saying, this is wrong, that's wrong. <laughs> uh, when um, when I'm looking at things, when I'm looking at, at, at a product that, that an engineer built, I, it's mm-hmm. something that I know I can't do, but that I can respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I like those kinds of Startup. So anything, yeah. anything where you're looking at how the virtual world interacts with the real world. Yeah, um, and that, that can be incredibly unsexy. <laughs> so I spent a year working with an entrepreneur in Camarillo, um, a Cal Lutheran alum, mm-hmm. uh, on flushing toilets. It actually wasn't the flush itself. <laughs> uh-huh. It was the leaky toilet flapper valve. You know, sometimes you walk into the, the bathroom and you hear that runt right, constant. Yes. And it's mm-hmm. there's a there's a valve in the in the toilet tank that's stuck open that's supposed to close. Yeah. Um in, in an apartment that's a huge problem because if your tenant doesn't report it, then you get stuck with this really big water bill. Oh yeah. So um, so we, uh, we spent a year trying to sense, how do you detect when, when there's a leaky toilet flapper valve? And then yeah. we went on to, how, how do you count toilet flushes? Because usually when you rent, uh, I shouldn't tell college students this, cause, uh, <laughs> uh, when you rent, a, when you rent a, uh, an apartment, there are usually occupancy restrictions and people uh-huh. ignore those all the time. Yeah. So we were going to use toilet flushes as a way to, to guess where the over occupancy was. <laughs> Um, But the leaky toilet flapper valve was the important part, and Mm -hmm. figuring out how to do that was kind of fun. Yeah. uh, What the right sensor was, and we were an engineer, so it was kind Mm -hmm. of like... Making a lot of mistakes and figuring out as you go. Yeah. When I talk to an engineer about how do we how do we detect a leaky toilet flapper valve, they they go into all kinds. They would say, I can't tell you because you haven't given me detailed specifications. And then I'd say, <laughs> What I'm are totally those? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> huh. Well, I need to know the frequency spectrum. And it, uh, okay, so what you're telling me is you need to see what a toilet flush looks like in terms of the sound waves. Mm-hmm. Yes. So then we found a retired sound engineer in Thousand Oaks Uh who was looking after a bunch of old sound equipment that a Danish manufacturer had left behind when they exited uh, Southern California. And I I called him and I told him, I need to know what a toilet flush looks like. And I explained to him, I said, I know what you need. Come on up to my office. So we went up to his office took a microphone, piled into his powder room. It's like four grown men in a powder room. And then he had a technician back at the equipment saying, okay, I'm flushing. And he'd flush and he'd record the toilet flush. Did that four or five times and then gave us a USB drive with the data that showed what a toilet flush looks like. And I I asked him, I said, what do do we owe you? And he said, oh, you don't owe me anything. I haven't had this much fun in years. (laughs) Um, Oh my goodness. And now you're going to listen. You're going to be preoccupied by it. There's a lot of money toilets, by the way.
2: Yeah, sounds
1: like it. <laughs> Listen to a toilet flush. It sounds almost the same every single time. Not Not the commercial ones, not the yeah. ones like in the restrooms on uh-huh. campus, but like in your apartment or in your house. And if you look in the Tub, the the equipment mm-hmm. that that does the toilet flush, uh, very similar from toilet to toilet, but that challenge of there are reasons why it's complicated, mm-hmm. and figuring out how to get around the complications that 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 connection between. The real world and the virtual world was mm-hmm. kind of cool, but uh, it took, I worked with them for a year. It took them another couple of years to f- figure out how to get it to work, but now it's working mm-hmm. and they put it in an apartment complex and the thing pays for itself in months. Wow. Because they almost always, they call them rogue toilets, which I think is hysterical. <laughs> they need a new logo with like a toilet with a,
2: yeah. <laughs> with a
1: sword in its hands. Yeah. And, uh, but, um, but th- that's, that's, I I like that space the Mm -hmm. most
2: yeah wow who knew there was so much to like a toilet flush you know (laughs)
1: I could go on
2: and on and on (laughs) um all right so for those students out there that are thinking about starting a startup or kind of just like considering it what are some resources that you would recommend to them
1: uh, I recommend a book for entrepreneurs who are start- just starting out called Disciplined Entrepreneurship mm-hmm. by Bill Aulet. Bill is a, a senior lecturer at MIT. Okay. And he laid out a very regimented set of steps you should go through when you're thinking about launching a startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very clear um, and pretty much comprehensive. Um, another favorite of mine is a gentleman named Steve Blank. Uh, Steve has a book called The Startup Owner's Manual. It's, it's like 500 pages thick and mm-hmm. it's probably too much to just read in one sitting. Yeah. But if you go to steveblank.com, Steve's website has all kinds of resources for entrepreneurs. And then a book called Business Model Generation mm-hmm. by Alexander Osterwalder. Um, Alex invented this this thing called the business model canvas. It's a diagram with nine boxes mm-hmm. that uh, describe any business. Okay. And uh, part of the process you go through when you're launching a startup, when you're looking for that business model is what? is the right combination of those nine boxes that work for my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alex's book, is f- it's full of, it's really well illustrated, it's really easy to understand, uh, and it's kind of fun to learn and use.
2: Awesome, awesome. So I know you're in charge of, um, or you run a lot of events in the area, so what are some events coming up that people should look out for? On, uh,
1: on, eight, on March 22nd, we're having our monthly Entrepreneur Speaker Series event at um, Cal Lutheran or at Hub 101. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're actually going to be celebrating Hub 101's second birthday.
0: Wow, it we'll, went fast.
1: It went fast. <laughs> it feels like decades. Yeah. Um, but we're also going to be celebrating one of our members leaving. <laughs> uh, and that kind of sounds counterintuitive. Yeah. Well, yeah. they're not going to be paying us rent anymore. Yeah. Why are we Why are we throwing a party? Yeah. Uh, they're, uh, it's a company called Pure Spectrum. Mm-hmm. And they've actually raised a lot of money on their own mm-hmm. through their success that they achieved while at Hub 101. And Hub 101 is not about being there forever. It's about coming there to get started and mm-hmm. when you're successful, leaving. So the fact that Pure Spectrum is leaving is is a milestone for us mm-hmm. and, um, and something that we feel needs to be Celebrated.
0: Yeah, like a graduation almost.
1: Like a graduation. <laughs> yeah. Looking to um, April is when we have our new venture fair. If mm-hmm. you're listening to this and you, you're a student and you have a startup, you should consider applying to be in the new venture fair. You don't have to be pursuing the minor. You don't have to be taking entrepreneurship classes, although we recommend it. Uh, but um, you can be a part of that. We're going to offer cash prizes. Everybody who participates will
0: get a prize. Great. Well, Mike, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. You're um, welcome. Besides teaching and uh, running 100 different startups and angel investing I know you're busy and like you said you have like 5, 6 events coming up so again thank you for taking the time out to come talk to us today It was a pleasure. Great well guys that brings us to the conclusion of episode 4 of Startups You Radio um, you know everything from toilets to startups to investment we have it all so um, we hope you guys keep joining us um, and we would love having you guys